You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. and welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. This week we're going to be looking at the first part of season six of Classic Doctor Who, Patrick Troughton's final season in the role as the Doctor, uh, and a bit of a mixed bag I think. I think we had very very sort of strong and relatively consistent uh, seasons four and five. This one's a little bit more variable perhaps, but uh we'll we'll have a talk about it anyway. Uh, to talk about it with me I have Jimmy, Hello, and I have Greg. Hello. Uh, it's we've. It feels like it's been quite a while since we lasted a season by season. I think it's it's probably not been that long, but it's uh, yeah, good to have you both back. Um, so, spoiler warning: this week, Doctor Who season six. Uh, we're going to be specifically looking at the first four stories, so that's up until and including the Crotons. Uh, and we'll come back in a few weeks' time to talk about the rest of the season. We thought we might need a lot of an episode to talk about the war games, so we're saving that for a few weeks. Let's start off then. I will ask you what your favourite story from this season is. You go first, Jimmy. It's a close call between the invasion and the war games, but, I mean, the war games is just such an excellent finale to the era that I have to give it the nod of the two. It's just incredible absolutely one of the highlights of Troughton's era. It's Yeah, it's an exceptionally strong story. Well, both of the ones you mentioned are exceptionally strong stories. I'd, I'd struggle to pick between the two myself. Uh, what about you, Greg? Uh, I agree completely with Jimmy. It's between those two, and I go with the War Games. Um, this season is probably, unfortunately, my least favourite of the black and white era, but The War Games is one of the strongest Doctor Who stories of the entire first six years. It's fantastic, and it's definitely worth all ten episodes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something we'll talk about more in our next episode together, but it it really does just sort of... It keeps the pace going for ten whole episodes. It never gets boring little repetitive but still very entertaining in the process um i think i'd have to agree agree with you both as well it, it is the war games it's just such a great story it's it's so brilliant um and we're going to kind of leave the war games on a little bit of a cliffhanger for the next episode there because like i say we'll come back to it when we do part two of this um we shall start as season six did with the dominators um bit of an odd one dominators obviously it had an episode cut because it, it, it seemed to be dragging on a bit and I, I think that was absolutely the right thing to do i think it really struggles to keep 
keep up with five episodes, let alone six. But I will pass over to Jimmy, first of all, to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I definitely agree about it being a bit overlong, even at only five episodes. It's still sort of the pace struggles a bit. But, um, yeah, it's not one of the best stories, obviously, but um, it does still have some highlights that make it worthwhile. Um, For me, I'd say, obviously, the scenes with Jamie and the Doctor pretending to be stupid so that they can fool the Dominators are really good. I mean, when Jamie's like, oh, pretending to be stupid's easy, and the Doctor just sort of gives him this knowing look and he just looks so embarrassed that he's just said that. Uh, it's great. The dynamic's so good. And, of course, Zoe's first trip in the TARDIS, which I hadn't quite fully realised on previous viewings. I'd somehow missed the line at the start where she talks about projecting mental images about the repeat of Evil of the Daleks. I'd forgotten that line was in there, so... It's thrown my nerdy little continuity lists out of line because I've had stories slotted in between before and now they can't go there. So, yeah, it's interesting to learn new things on a rewatch. And, um, yeah, other than that, other interesting things, I think there's um, also the lines about the two hearts because they scan Jamie and they're like, oh, these creatures only have one heart. We won't bother to scan the Doctor because obviously he has one heart too. And then... The Dominators, not the Dominators, sorry, the um, the native Dulcians also have two hearts. And I just thought it was interesting, like accidentally, of course, but it's pretty good foreshadowing that they had them not bother to scan the Doctor because they were so certain. And then, of course, next season, they finally reveal that the Doctor does have two hearts. So I thought that was a funny little moment in retrospect. Um, other little things that I noticed that I've got to mention... There was another bit of writing inconsistency. Most of the story, the Dominators are talking about how they rule 10 galaxies, but then there was one line, I forget which episode, where they say, we have the force of an entire galaxy, as if they've only got one, and it's just like the writers couldn't even keep track of their own things for the whole story, which is a bit of a shame. But, yeah, I think the things that really ruin this story is the costumes are so ridiculous for the um, Dolcians. And it just looks silly every time you see it, which makes it pretty hard to take the story seriously, unfortunately. And the other thing, of course, is Cully. He's written like this young person who's rebelling against all the older Dolcians who are stuck in their ways, but then they cast someone who's obviously middle-aged. I think the story could have been improved a lot if they'd actually cast someone a lot younger as Cully and maybe it would have been easier to take the story seriously. But, yeah. Not a great story, but there's enough in it that's good to save it for me from being completely not worth it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely flawed and, you know, it did have production issues and various other problems. But I think I think some of those flaws were probably avoidable, actually. I think it's fair to say I'd agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Greg? Yeah, this kind of, we've, we've talked about weak season openers in this era in the past, and this continues, if there is such a trend, this continues it. It's my least favorite story of the Troughton era, and it's largely just because it's 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 ridiculous and not in a like, fun and amusing way, just in kind of an embarrassing way, and it's not interesting. It's a very slow story. The fact that they cut an entire episode out of this is inconceivable to me because this could have been done in two episodes, never mind five, and especially never mind six. Um, the 
the costuming is is that the characters just look silly like the dominators look ridiculous the delcians look ridiculous the quarks they're so obviously trying to make them like the next like robot monster of doctor who and they're they're absolutely awful <laughs> i don't want to keep just 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 ragging on it but i i really find very little to enjoy here one thing i do enjoy about it is this is i don't know if i want to get into best necessarily but the relationship between the doctor jamie and zoe and particularly the relationship between the three actors is easily the best chemistry that we've seen on screen in the Troughton era. And they're clearly having a lot of fun. And they're they're always just delightful to watch on screen. The, the scene that you know Jimmy mentioned with you know pretending to be stupid is is great. The only problem is is that this story in particular, it gets a little too silly. Like they they do the joke on multiple occasions here where the doctor, you know, is, says that they're out of trouble. And then Jamie says, oh, but haven't you forgotten about us? And then the doctor gets this exaggerated look at the camera and realizes he's forgotten something. And, you know, you do that once, it's funny. You do it two and three times and it just kind of makes the doctor look stupid and not like he's pretending to be. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I really, I really struggle with this one. This is, this is a very dull story and, and, and it ends abruptly on a, on a cliffhanger, but thankfully it ends abruptly going into something that is, that is much more entertaining. I think you're right. And this story does commit perhaps the worst crime a doctor who story can commit. And that is that it's boring. It's dull. There's just so little that happens. It's so difficult to care about any character in it at all, really. And I'd even include the regulars in that, you know, the doctor and Jamie, are even by this point a very very well established team they have had nearly two seasons together we have watched them develop and become a bit of a double act and apart from just those few fantastic moments and they are fantastic moments they're some of the best scenes in any doctor who at all they're pretending to be stupid scenes it's an awful lot of fun but apart from that there's just so little in this story to make me care about even the main characters let alone all of these sort of dull dulcian they are dull dulcians that are thrown at us um so yeah it, it's I, I just think this story's i don't even think it's a missed opportunity i think it's just flawed from the start i think it's a dull script i think it was produced in a very lackadaisical way simple things such as miscasting and all that sort of thing. It, it just really did result in something that's not hugely enjoyable. It's definitely one of the weakest stories that we've discussed so far, unfortunately. Um, and like you said, Greg, it does go into something considerably better, which is, of course, the mind robber. Um, and I like the fact that the mind robber basically picks up that one episode that the Dominators didn't get and does something really kind of weird and wonderful with it. A unique, odd first part that serves as a prologue to the rest of the story. And I just think it's immensely effective. So at least we've got that. The one thing that came out of the Dominators was the first episode of The Mind Robber. 
Um, so obviously we're onto the mind robber now. Uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on it? Definitely make a good point about the first episode. I um, I love the whole story, but that first episode really is something special. They made a virtue of having to do something with only the regulars. I mean, technically there's the white robots too, but only the regulars as actual characters with actual minds. And just the scenes in the TARDIS trying to work out how to fix it and Jamie and Zoe getting the temptations of their homes and it's just really brilliant and atmospheric and I think it's one of the highlights of Troughton's era. And after that, the rest of the story is pretty great too. It's um, very clever how they made virtue again of um, Jamie when Fraser Hines got sick and wasn't available for an episode. If you, if that happened in a more normal story, then, you know, they'd probably have been like, oh, he's fallen unconscious two episodes later. Oh, he's woken up. And instead they're just like, no, we're going to still use Jamie. We're just going to recast him. And they made a good excuse for it and it worked really well. And I think some of the best scenes in the story is the Doctor getting frustrated with the face parts and trying to work out how to put them together. And <laughs> it's just really good when Zoe finally turns up and she's like, why is Jamie look different? And Doc's like embarrassed and won't say. And then when they get the face parts up again and Zoe keeps correcting him and he's just getting so flustered, it's really brilliant acting from both of them. And, I, yeah, one of the things that I absolutely love about the story. Um, and then, of course, you've got all the um, fictional characters, which is such a good idea because especially they when they lampshade it, when the Doctor and Zoe and Jamie and I forget which one asks the Doctor, well, if it's land of fiction, why are we here? And sort of lampshading that they're fictional too, of course, in a very meta way. Um, and then, of course, you've got the uh, the Medusa was another really well-realised monster. I like the sort of, I assume it was sort of stop motion with the snakes on the head. Um, and, of course, then you get the thing about she's not real and it, by that stage of the story later, you're like, yeah, yeah, it's not real. They say it, they get it, they solve it. And then you get the carcass and the doctor's like, well, I don't know he's not real. I've never heard of him. And so it was a clever way to add a little bit more threat. So, um, yeah, such a good story and um, not really much more else to say about it. It's just very fun, quite a good little romp um, and does some interesting things with the characters. So, yeah, another one that I um, thoroughly enjoy. I think it's an excellent example of, Doctor Who kind of adapting to its circumstances and some of the best Doctor Who stories have come out of this having to overcome some kind of obstacle during production um, you know in this case it was both they had to tack an extra episode onto the story and one of their leads was ill for a couple of weeks um, a lot of productions are just give up and shut down but this is Doctor Who in the 60s it was made on a weekly basis and it had to be delivered um, and Doctor Who does excel when it's kind of put in that kind of corner I think of uh, Greatest Show in the Galaxy as well which obviously very nearly didn't happen until J&T had the great idea of let's film it in a tent on the car park and what you have as a result is one of the most atmospheric Doctor Who stories there's ever been and I think we get exactly that here just the fact that it was a challenging production, shall we say, uh, has actually helped elevate it because it really did make them pull out a lot of creative stops. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Greg? 
yeah, I really agree with what you're just saying there. It's it's a story, the mind robber, that shouldn't work. You know, we we've already seen Doctor Who do this kind of sidestep out of reality into this surrealist environment in the Celestial Toymaker, and we all know how that turned out not very well. Um, this is a story that you know had knock-on effects from the previous ones production issues. So all of a sudden there's an extra episode tacked on at the beginning. Like you said, we've got a regular cast member who has to disappear for an episode because he has chicken pox. Um, And you have a a plot, a story that is almost non-existent here. Like really all that happens in the mind robber is the characters just kind of wander around. I mean, there's the first episode of course, which is just a, 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 a very surreal sort of thing, which is wonderful. And then you've got the remaining four episodes and basically the characters just wander around the land of fiction for a while until the doctor finally has his final confrontation with the master of the land of fiction. And there's really no particular story. There's no particular conflict. They're just wandering around meeting fictional characters. And yet it's so imaginative. It's so creative. It's so, it has this, just this energy to it that it works. It's one of the most enjoyable stories of the era for exactly that reason. Like, like Jimmy said, the, the stop motion Medusa snakes, incredible. Uh, Gulliver only being able to speak in lines from the novel, like incredible. Like it, it seemed like they were making it up as they went along, but what they were making up was, was fantastic. It's, it's, it's so much fun to watch. Yeah, it's it's a definite highlight of of the era, like you said. Um, and I, it's I think it's an example of experimentation that you only get in sixties Doctor Who. It it is very strange and ambitious, and you know, as we move into the seventies, things do get a lot safer. We end up with to start with a very well kind of established unit format. And then that gives the way to more Gothic storytelling uh, when Philip Hinchcliffe comes in and we never quite get anything else like the mind robber. And we have ventured into territory like this before, like you say, the celestial toy maker um, and that sort of thing, you know, maybe even edge of destruction, I guess kind of another experimental necessary for production piece i was just going to say i think that um it's a good point that this sort of thing doesn't happen later and it sort of harkens back to the original um format guide for the hartnell era when they were like there'll be history stories there'll be science stories and there'll be sideways stories and this is sort of the last of the sideways stories as it were and so yeah it's good that Troughton got a chance to have that sort of thing as well and i think that um you know quite a lot of extended universe doctor who owes stories like this quite a lot as well there's quite a bit of continuity law i don't know kind of stuff established in edge of destruction uh toy maker kind of hints at a past for the doctor and then this establishes things like you know fictional characters can be real in this sideways universe and we've had all sorts of land of fiction based stuff um some really good stuff as well. You know, I really think uh, Legend of the Cybermen's a great story. 
what's the fourth Doctor Adventures one? Is it the Crooked Crooked Man? Something like that. The um, Crooked Man's an uh, Eighth Doctor adventure novel, but that's, that's also in that's the Crooked World. The Crooked World, excuse me, that's right. Yes. Never mind. I think. Oh the, boy, is it the Crooked Man? I'm thinking of. It's a fourth Doctor one where fictional characters start terrorizing it. It's been a long time since I heard it. I'll look it up after. But um, yeah, uh, and there was obviously the recent War Master set, Escape from Reality, which was just brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah the, the, uh, conundrum all the way back in the NAs was a great novel too. Yes, so it's it's definitely a concept that's been very effectively revisited in quite a few different ways um, throughout Doctor Who's history, and I think that really is testament to actually how good a concept a, a world where fictional characters can come to life is, and of course it means that. Uh, for the most part, anything that's out of copyright is fair game and can appear in Doctor Who. Um, which probably means we do a Winnie the Pooh Doctor Who adventure sometime soon. Winnie the Who. Winnie the... Oh, no. Oh, no. That's brilliant. But no. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to... Um, what we all agreed is one of the best stories of the season, uh, The Invasion. It's a big eight-part epic, and it is, it's a sneaky pilot for what Doctor Who's going to be for the next few years after this one, really. It's it's proto-Pertwee era. Um, we we get a returning character. Uh, Colonel Leppish Stewart is now a brigadier. Uh, unit is established quite nicely in basically a few lines and we have an excellent villain in um tobias vaughan which like he does genuinely manage to carry half the story the cybermen do not turn up until halfway through this story um for the first few parts he is the main baddie and he does such a great job there's so much to enjoy about the invasion that i'm going to let you guys talk about it before I cover all the brilliant points. So go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah, it's an amazing story and it definitely earns its length. There's lots of stories like earlier in the season, the Dominators was just over half as long and it felt like an absolute slog. And yet this is eight episodes and it flies by. It's um, And as you say, the um, Cybermen, they take so long to appear and they don't actually stay much. Uh, the cyber planner has a lot of lines and a lot of involvement, but the actual individual cybermen, I think they had three or four lines and one of them was just, yes, and one of them was a scream. So it's interesting to see them as more the sort of min minions of the cyber planner rather than as uh, their own intelligent creatures in their own right. But the story makes it work and definitely boatloads of atmosphere throughout and does a good job of setting up the next era of Pertwee's time with the setup of Unit and the modern day, well, near future unit dating confusion era Earth. And um, yeah, I just love how atmospheric this story is and some brilliant and dark stuff too, like when um, Packer, not Packer, sorry, when Vaughan gets the scientist in front of him and he he's like, I would kill you as soon as I got the chance. And he just hands him the gun and he's like, well, go on then. Like, that was really dark. And um, the 
the other thing with Vaughn and Packer both is I love the contrast. At the start of the story, Vaughn's all, oh, yes, this is all right, and very calm and precise, and Packer's the, you know, hungry for action, wanting to rough people up type. But then by the end of the story, Vaughn's, like, screaming in frustration about, you know, how his plans have gone wrong and he's completely changed. And, yeah, I thought that was handled really well. One thing I didn't like was at the end, um, I think it would have been a nice twist if they'd done something very slightly differently in Vaughan's not Vaughan, in Packer's final scene when um, Vaughan calls for Packer and instead of Packer, a Cyberman face shows up on his screen and it's like, they've converted Packer, it's... Uh, and then, no, it was. It just happened that a Cyberman was there. Packer walks in and gets killed two seconds later. I think it would have been much better if that Cyberman had been Packer and they'd converted him off screen and it showed just how much Vaughn had lost control. So, yeah, I think that was one little flaw there that they didn't think to do that, but that's a tiny quibble with the otherwise brilliant story. Oh, yeah, there is one more flaw. Really weird bit. I loved the Zoe and Isabel scenes and their dynamic together, but playing teddy bears picnic on the radio they couldn't have picked something else something actually you know of the time or good <laughs> it just seemed really really weird and sort of yeah threw me for a loop it's just every time I get to that point in the story I'd forgotten about it from the previous viewings and it just every time it just takes you out of the story so much but yeah again that's just another tiny quibble with an otherwise brilliant story I Absolutely love the invasion. I suspect sticking the Beatles on the record player would probably have cost a little bit more than Teddy Bear's Picnic uh, by that point. But we, we had Beatles in the Hartnell era, I guess. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 a fantastic story. And it, it's there are little things that you can pick out, but there are little things in every Doctor Who story you can pick out. I, I don't think the perfect Doctor Who story exists. Um and I suspect I might get shouted at on Twitter for saying that. But nevertheless, um, it, every Doctor Who's flawed in some way, shape or form, uh, apart from the Deadly Assassin, obviously. Um, anyway, uh, Greg, uh, what do you think of it? This is a very enjoyable story. Like we all said, it's neck and neck with the War Games for the best story of the season. It's functional primarily because of the directing. Douglas Canfield does such a good job with this sort of military approach because of his his own background. And despite being eight episodes long, just visually, this story never gets dull. And, and that's interesting because there doesn't have the surrealist you know, visuals of the mind robber. It's very much a modern day Earth story. And the editing is great. You know, the the Every scene basically picks up and ends exactly where it needs to. It never feels like much of anything is padded out. Um, the military action is believable for the most part. Um, Unit comes across here as a very competent and effective military force. The Brigadier is... It's interesting, too, to, to, to look at the Brigadier because you know his portrayal in The Web of Fear he's introduced as potentially a villain. And then here he's, he's definitely the man in charge. And of course he's a good guy, but at the same time, he's very laid back as a leader. Like this is not the, 
the very serious military officer that we see come back in season seven. He's a lot more casual here. Like he's on a first name basis with some of his men. It, it's, it's just an interesting to see how they, how they shaped this character as it developed. But, but yeah, um, the regulars are great in this. Patrick Troughton gets to do so much. I mean, from, from some fantastic acting to a lot of physical comedy, like the, running through the streets, leaping over the explosion scene is a, is a classic bit of, of Troughton physicality. This is really the first story that uses Zoe as a character with potential. I mean, obviously the mind robber recognized that she was from the future because she, she knew comic book characters from that time. But here we actually see her intelligence on display. She's able to talk a computer into destroying itself just by inputting illogical data She's able to calculate missile trajectories off the top of her head. And at the same time, they make sure to, you know, show that she's still a, you know, a a teenage girl. Like she still is really interested in having, you know, glamour photographs taken of her. And and it, it, she feels like a a well-rounded, fleshed out individual, which is unfortunately very rare for the women uh, of the Troughton era, and, and and it's good to see. And unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily hold up even for the rest of the season. But in, in this story, she's very good. I I really like this story. It's a lot of fun. It's very exciting. It, it's it's eight episodes long, but it never gets boring. It follows the Cyberman formula that we've had for most of the '60s, where it reveals the existence of the Cybermen as the bad guy halfway through the story, except here that's episode four instead of episode two, and it still works. And it too has a first episode that feels really disconnected from the rest of the story. It's very similar to the first episode of The Evil of the Daleks, and you know how much I love that story. So yeah, this just works. It works so well, and and it's it's a it's an absolute gem in a in a otherwise sort of uninteresting season i i i I love it i do think that uh this story has perhaps one of the best cliffhangers doctor who has ever done and it's i think it's episode six when the cybermen start beaming down their sort of control signal to knock people out and all of the cybermen emerge and you get that iconic shot of them coming down the steps with St Paul's Cathedral in the background and you see them just wandering around the streets and it's the build-up to that cliffhanger. It's the use of sound as well as visual. It's so brilliantly atmospheric. The the pulsing of the Cyberman signal just getting stronger and stronger and louder and faster, uh, building up to all of these Cybermen just appearing all over the place. It's an absolutely wonderful piece of direction it's it's it is doctor who at its peak it's amazing um and it's just one amazing moment in such a good story um on some days i'd perhaps try arguing that this was the best story we've discussed so far since we started doing this um it's it's absolutely great as you both said it really does manage to hold its own over eight episodes four of them without the cybermen and when the cybermen do appear they are little more than background characters but cybermen sneaking around in the sewers that's that's what i want from cybermen i don't want 
loud, clunky. You can hear them coming from a mile off, stampy, stampy Cybermen. I want sinister shadows in the sewer that could emerge any moment. This is just the Cybermen at their most wonderful. And it's such a shame that, A, it was years before the Cybermen properly came back after this, and B, they never quite came back this good. And I still, to this day, do not think Cybermen have been done as well as they were in the invasion. I really do think this is the point where Cybermen peaked. Um, Yeah, just the, the darkness, the atmosphere, the fact that they are... This very sinister, silent threat is just so fantastic. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love the invasion. I think it's brilliant. Uh, let's move on to the final story that we're going to discuss in this episode. And I have to admit that whenever I do a Doctor Who marathon, I watch the invasion and I'm hooked. It's amazing. It's brilliant. And then the next story completely throws away the brilliance of not just the last eight episodes, the last 13 episodes. You know, it's two good stories, The Mind Robber and The Invasion. The Crotons is... Yeah, it's not great. It's not a favourite. Um, it's Robert Holmes' first Doctor Who, and unfortunately, he starts with a bit of a whimper and not a bang. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Jimmy? Yeah, it's definitely surprising to have a Robert Holmes story that's not that good. I mean, there are some nice moments in it that work well. Like, I think particularly for me, the scene where Zoe and the Doctor are both trying the intelligence testing machine and Zoe just absolutely blitzes it and the Doctor keeps making mistakes and only beats her because he answers, like, twice as many questions. And the dynamic where, oh, the Doctor's almost as smart as I am and the doctor basically saying oh yes so he's a genius it can be very frustrating i i love their dynamic together and i think that was one of the things that was really handled well by this story but yeah other than that there's not really much positive i um yeah i've got to say well at least the world looks sort of a bit better realized than the dominators like the costumes are a bit more reasonable and normal and you actually get a sort of glimpse of this planet and the weird-looking buildings, whereas the Dominators just sort of... You don't really see much of the Dulcian civilization, as it were. And so, yeah, that's sort of a positive about this. But, yeah, there's not much positive. It's um, pretty poor, unfortunately, overall. Um, One funny thing I did notice that might not have been apparent at the time, but these days, after the pandemic, when the... um, when the scientist guy and Jamie are brewing up the chemicals they need to make and Jamie's got this full-on mask thing and the scientist has a mask covering his mouth but not his nose. And when you watch it, you think, oh, is anyone that stupid that they wouldn't cover the nose? And then, of course, these days we know that a lot of people are. So that may seem a bit sort of funny in hindsight, which gives it a tiny boost. But, yeah, not much else good to say about this story, unfortunately. Doctor Who predicting anti-maskers 50 years early. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It wouldn't be the first thing that Doctor Who did predict 50 years early, I guess. Uh, What about you, Greg? What do you think of this one? I'm a little more positive on the Crotons than most people. I really enjoy watching this one. It's it's not great, certainly. It, It doesn't 
revolutionize Doctor Who. It doesn't change anything. But to me, it, at least it escapes the boredom of the Dominators. There's actually something of an interesting story here when you dig down to the root of it. The, you know, compared to the Dominators, the Dominators, the, the, the clue is in the title there. The Dominators want to dominate. They want to take over the galaxy or the world or the universe or whatever it is. That's, that's, that's their lone motivation. That's all they care about. And they're very boring as a result. Whereas here, the, the Crotons are this sort of limited machine intelligence that's trying to find a way to get off of this planet. And the only way, you know, in the, in the most logical way they can you know conceive of doing that is to harvest the most intelligent natives and get them to... You know, try to aid them in, in this in this project and slowly, you know, build up their technology and their knowledge until they can get them to a point where they can get the crotons off the planet. Like that to me is it's an interesting motivation. And it's and it's nice to have, you know, this situation where it's objectively terrible. You know, the crotons are effectively enslaving uh the Gons, but at the same time, you know, they're not doing it out of malice. They're not doing it out of a desire to be, you know, the the, the conquerors and, and the rulers, they're doing it just to a, achieve a, a single-minded objective. I think that's really good. I think the story also like nicely continues what we've seen as character development for, jo- uh, for, for Zoe. You know, you guys have, you talked about this a little bit, but it, it plays up the idea that there's a rivalry between the doctor and Zoe, that the doctor is kind of childishly jealous that he has a companion now who is, on his level intellectually someone that he you know can't just lead around and, and lecture about everything that he sees and it clearly doesn't sit well with him and, and it's in the way that they play that is absolutely hilarious and you know zoe gets her own too you know just as the the doctor says you know it's infuriating that she's a genius there's you know when the doctor also passes the test to be marked as one of the intelligent ones Zoe is irate because the doctor got to answer more questions than she did. And I, I, I like that scene. You know, there's a lot of good lines in here. Jamie has a really good story. <clears throat> Sorry. Jamie has a really good story. He, he gets a lot of action sequences. He's a, a proactive heroic character. Um, I, there's problems. The Crotons look absolutely terrible. They look ridiculous. The director knows this and tries to keep the camera off of them as much as possible. And really, they don't even show up until halfway through the story. The Gons really aren't interesting. There's not much going on there in the way of characters. They try to... Holmes' script tries to show like different philosophies taking root among the, the in the revolution, and it doesn't really come off. Like It, it, is, it is certainly flawed, but... I think there's a lot here to enjoy. This is a story that I have always liked watching, and I don't think it's anywhere near the worst of the Troughton era or the 60s as a whole. I guess that it's it's a far more competent production than The Dominators is, but I think that with the two stories being so close together and in some ways being similar, you know, there is a theme of, pacifism running through both different kinds of pacifism i guess but nevertheless uh, yeah i I i think they're sort of they are very easy to compare and very often compared and there's nothing in the crotons that stands out to me like those comedic 
scenes in the dominators of the doctor and jamie pretending to be stupid and just little moments like that um it's it's hard to pick between them um but i think you have definitely given an excellent and robust defense of the crotons there it's it's probably one that i need to rewatch in the not too distant future um because it's it's one that I remember enjoying in the past, but the last couple of times I've seen it, I, I really haven't. Um, but it, 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 it's always come immediately after watching The Invasion. And I think after the brilliant large-scale epicness of The Invasion, it just feels like someone has slammed on the brakes when we get here. And uh, they don't really take the feet off those brakes until the War Games hits. Um but it's, I mean, every story we've discussed today, the, there is something to enjoy, whether it be a little moment or whether it just be you know, eight episodes of pure awesomeness. Um, and I suppose that is one of the great things about Doctor Who, and that's why we keep coming back to it, why we keep watching it, and why we're podcasting about it. So we will leave this one here. Um, it's been great discussing these four stories. We will return. Um, in a couple of weeks' time to discuss the rest of Season 6, along with uh, a little bit of a retrospective on Patrick Troughton's Doctor and, I guess, the 60s in general. And I'm assuming we're going to have an awful lot to say about the War Games because it kind of, in many ways, rips up what Doctor Who has been so far and turns it into something new, different and wonderful, Um, which is... It's kind of the ultimate season finale, I guess. It's the season finale of the 60s, of season six, of the second Doctor, of black and white Doctor Who and Doctor Who as we know it. So I'm really looking forward to getting to that one. But in the meantime, I will say a big thank you and goodbye to Jimmy. Thanks. Definitely looking forward to the next one as well. And a big thank you and goodbye to Greg. I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to the Space Pirates. We'll see you then. I genuinely am looking forward to the Space Pirates. I think it's very underrated, but we'll we'll get there next time. Uh, and goodbye, of course, to everyone at home, and thank you for listening. 